welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have somebody on that I have wanted to interview and speak with for years, somebody I respect and admire beyond, beyond measure, Chris Singleton. He's a former minor league baseball player who was drafted by the Cubs, but he has since become a nationally renowned speaker. He speaks on the messages of resilience, of forgiveness, of unity. And he speaks on that because he lost his mother in the 2015 Emanuel Church shooting right here in Charleston, South Carolina. And this conversation that happened to be scheduled with Chris comes within hours of the news of the latest school shooting in Texas. Um, It was a heavy conversation, an emotional conversation, and one that is just so needed to be had. And I am so honored to be able to give him the mic and the platform. So let's tune in. I just honestly want to tell you like how honored I am to have you on the show. And um, I can't imagine where you're, you are at emotionally this morning after yesterday's events. Um, I am just, I mean, a mess, you know, because of it. And I can't even fathom what you're trying to process emotionally. I know it's, it's a tough morning. Um, yeah. 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 But let's let's start here i want to ask you like this is like a big quite a broad question and a deep question in a lot of ways but who is chris singleton how would you define that yeah so i'd say chris singleton is um i'm a husband married to my high school sweetheart father with two kids and um i'm just i would classify myself as an overcomer so i've gone through so much um, at such a young age, and I've had to just consistently, you know, fight through the trials and tribulations that I've gone through. And so I'd, I'd label myself as an overcomer. Um, and that's, that's who I am. Wow. I love that. You couldn't be more suited for this podcast because I don't know if you saw the name of it, but it's called low bottom high rise because I feel the same, you know, there's just been so much to fight through and to overcome and, our lives have been so different and there's so many different struggles, but you know, the common thing is just the pain and the overcoming and the ability to do that. And one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast in general, but specifically with you is to just kind of have a voice and a platform to show people, you know, how you do that and how you overcome. So going from that, do you want to just kind of share your story for those that might not know your story? I don't know how far back you want to go, but um, let's dig into what you've had to overcome. Yeah. Well, you know, first I'll say I call it the unthinkable. I lost my mom in a um, racially motivated mass shooting um, in Charleston, South Carolina. And at the time, you know, it was, it still is for me, but at the time it was one of the worst mass shootings um, that we'd ever seen. And over the last, you know, week or so, um, you know, I don't know when you'll drop this, but over the last week or so, this has been, this has been terrifying. Um, You know, grocery stores and schools. Uh, And so for me, I I lost my mom in that way to a racially motivated mass shooter. And I basically devoted my life to trying to promote unity, trying to teach love, um, 
and help people overcome all the stuff that we go through. And you even said it yourself, like pain is universal. I feel like that is, yeah. it's silly to think about it like this, but pain brings people closer together because we all want to know how Absolutely. to get through it. And if you've gone through it and you've gotten through it, you, I think it's not an obligation, but an opportunity to teach somebody, hey, this is what I did to get through the things that I've gone through. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think back to that horrific night in Charleston, and I remember watching you kind of show up through that. And I mean... I feel like I've gone through a lot where I've had to process and kind of come up with the coping skills and the mindsets and the beliefs that, you know, you have to kind of change your belief system around a lot of stuff to get through. How, how in the world did you kind of almost in the moment and in the day step into forgiveness? I mean, that is just radical for me to think about that you were able to get to that place so quickly how, I mean, it, it had to be some of your faith, right? From your mom, I would think, you know, I'm listening sure. to your story and I'm like, she planted some really good seeds with you, but how, how do you think you were able to get there so fast? Yeah, I'd say, um, there's this quote that says, you know, people in the military, they don't, they don't, you know, rise to the occasion, they revert back to their training. And, you know, the way that I was raised, the way that I was, you know, had been given strength before was through my faith. And yeah. you know, that's something that my mom placed on me, right? And uh, I always credit my mom because she never shoved religion down my throat. And if that would have happened, I don't know if I would be where I am today in my faith. Um, I've seen it happen with friends of mine and things of that nature. But uh, I would say, n- number one, it was like autopilot for me f- with forgiveness. I, it was something out of this world, some things you can't explain. You try to put in the worldly terms, and you can't do it. This is one of the things. Now, practically, though, I know why forgiveness was placed on my heart. Uh, And it was placed on my heart because I really so many people are struggling with it, whether it is with themselves, whether it's with uh, a spouse or their their children or their parents, like everybody's struggling with it. And the moment that I realized forgiveness has freed me, it didn't free my killer from jail, didn't free him from receiving his, uh, you know, sentencing. That, that wasn't what forgiveness was for. Forgiveness was for me saying, hey, now I don't have to look at every single young white person and think they're, they're racist, right? Every young white male isn't racist. And if, I'd, if I hadn't harbored forgiveness, I'd still have hate in my heart towards people that looked like him, right? I'd be scared all the time. Um, and so that's what forgiveness has done, has done for me. And like you said, it was almost immediately, and I can't credit myself. I can't credit you know the city of Charleston. I can't credit anybody, but the Lord. So uh, it was placed on me, but I know why it was placed on me now. That's amazing. And you're right. I mean, the only, the only answer for that is, is like grace, right? God's grace. And I mean, just a miracle, honestly, a miracle from above. Tell me where you were uh, at that point in your life. You were how old doing what and kind of the transition to, to now and what you're doing now in the world. Yeah, so at the time I was 18, I had a little brother who was 12, little sister who was 15, uh, freshman in college, uh, baseball. Baseball was my life. And, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about how, you know, baseball is something that you've always been around, something that you love. Uh, So that's all I wanted to do was play baseball. That's all I was. And uh, after I lost my mom, everything changed for me. You know, I still had that mission and the the drive of making it professionally and uh, all that stuff, but 
my mission really changed. It wasn't just about me anymore. It was like, man, I don't want somebody to feel the pain that I just felt. And if I can do something to stop somebody from doing something terrible, then I want to try to do that with my life. So, you know, at first it was just baseball, 18. I'm still a young guy now, uh, 26. But um, I think over the last seven or eight years, the biggest thing that's changed me is uh, I've tried to use the things that I've gone through to help other people instead of just harboring that pain myself. Yeah. And I'm sure by sharing that, it lessens the pain, right? It, it kind of, there's it a is, part of you know, what you're doing that's very healing. Absolutely. Right now I'm on the road about 150 days a year speaking. And what I'm speaking is to, you know, companies like uh, Deloitte last week, an accounting firm, massive accounting firm, companies like Volvo or Microsoft. And then there's a lot of schools. You know, I go to about 60 schools a year that I'm speaking at. Uh, speaking to educators and to students because educators just have done so much for me in my life. My parents aren't here anymore, but I still got teachers that I go to when I need advice or, you know, trying to figure something out. I still go to my teachers. So, uh, but when people ask me when I'm speaking, Hey, Chris, is it painful for you to talk about losing your mom? Is it painful to talk about the stories uh, that you share, whether it's stuff in Buffalo, like I'm going today with my family to uh, be at six schools in Buffalo right? Is it painful to do these kinds of things? And it's actually therapeutic. Most of us, we don't share yeah. the things we've gone through. We, we hold it in. We hope nobody ever finds out and we want to forget ourselves. And it's, it's really tough to do so. But when we, when we share the things we've gone through, when we're open about them, um, you know, I think that brings some type of solace and it gives you purpose for that pain that you had. You know, I always say to people, when you lose somebody, whether it's, uh, you know, a son or daughter or, uh, you know, a parent or somebody like you're, you're always going to love them forever. And one of the things that I always try to do is try to do something to honor them, whether it's a, you run a 5k in their, their name every single year, I got it, you know, tattooed across this during the whole run. And I just keep thinking about them because I'm doing this for them. Or, you know, when I'm on stage, I'm thinking about my mom, I'm thinking about my dad, the legacy that they had. And uh, they instilled in me and the principles they instilled in me so I can, you know, leave that up on the earth now because they're no longer here. So we've got to do something for the things that, for the people that we lost. And this is just one of the ways that I kind of honor my my family. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. I mean, it's that shift, right? From being an 18 year old, you know, baseball player on his way to possibly become professional. And then it's like, all of a sudden you have this this turn in the road where your life becomes really one of, like you said, legacy and service and, and that shift from, especially with kids, you know, it's, it's all about us when we're young. And then it's like, if we can do anything in this world to just live for other people and serve, that's like, that's really where I believe that that's where success in your heart is found. But I also believe that when you pursue that, you know, business success, financial success, that kind of thing comes along as well when we're just waking up every day trying to serve. And I also believe yeah. like pain shared is cut in half, you know? Mm. And so every time you get to, you know, get in front of people and share your story, I mean, it transforms lives. I can't imagine how many lives you've touched through your speaking. I was thinking last night, I've just had you on my heart so much this week, knowing that we were coming into this conversation and I don't know, this is a little radical in my belief system, but part of me, when tragedy strikes and we lose people too early, part of me believes that I think we might 
kind of sign up for the assignment before we come into this world, you know? And I think your mom, there was a piece of it that was like, in a way, this gift to you, like you are going to be able to use that to change the world. You know, it's, it's just such a beautiful thing. Um, let me ask you this, when you're out on your speaking tours, what do you involve? What do you enjoy the most? What, what just lights you up? Is it the kids and the schools or the big corporations? I'm sure that's a little bit of a different message, right? When you're talking to middle school or high schoolers versus corporate executives. Yeah. So I'd say, uh, for most speakers, um, that are professional speakers, that's what they do. Uh, you know, they have a certain audience that they speak to, right? A lot of my buddies are like, Hey, I speak corporately. That's all I do. It's to corporations, to companies, right? That's all I do. Some people say, Hey, Chris, all I do is speak to students because that's my mission field. That is all I do. Um, and then there's me. I have a message. My message is about unity and love and overcoming, right? That is my message. And I share that with, you know, C-suite executives. I, I share that with uh, second graders. So um, that is like the thing that I always share. Now, I do have to change up the way that I share it. As you mentioned, you know, the second graders are going to love me talking about uh, you know, uh, let's say Minecraft or something, right? Whereas <laughs> if I speak to some, you know, people at Volvo about Minecraft, they're going to say, what is this guy talking about, right? So there's different <laughs> ways I have to change up the messaging, but the message is always about love, about unity and overcoming. So I'd say the, the best part for me is I actually keep screenshots of messages from students, from teachers, from just people, and I call them my trophies. So I've got about 175 uh, trophies um, mm. that I've kept over the last, you know, maybe three or four years that I've been doing this. I should have kept it for the last six years, but over the last yeah. three or four, I've got about 175 trophies just saying, hey, Chris, man, you changed my heart today. Like, I I didn't know that it's a choice to be racist, right? I didn't know that uh, I could go through all this and still be able to come out on the other side and and smile. And um, that stuff is what I what I enjoy. That's the best part of it, to answer your question. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's so interesting because you're the way you're like casting the net over these radically different audiences, which I know that no speaker usually does. I mean, like you said, it's usually this is the this is what I do, this is my message, and this is who it applies to. But that right there is unity. It's like you're bringing, you know, all ages, all races, all just everybody together because you're absolutely right. It's like the message needs to be for everyone and anyone. Um, I was listening to something yesterday. I was walking on the beach and I was like, I, I wanted to kind of dig into some of your talks and there was a Ted talk and I don't know how many you've done. Maybe you've done a bunch, but it was a pretty, you know, it was like a 10 minute talk and it blew my mind, Chris, like it left me, you know, thinking about it just for hours and hours and hours and hours afterwards. And as I went to bed last night, and you kind of told this story about two different people and their experiences with guns. And it, it was just, I mean, it, that story applies across the board. You know, I have friends that vote radically different. I have friends that even this morning, I'm thinking, you know, if I put up a social media post, uh, you know, about doing something about gun control, I have friends that feel radically different on the other side of the spectrum. And 
and how we can still be in relationship and love those people. Will you kind of repeat that? Do you, do you, you know which story I'm talking about, right? Absolutely. Yeah. This is one of the key things that I share. Um, because I think, so, I think the, the best thing that we can do um, is when we have different views, different belief systems is to share the stories about why we have those belief systems, right? So, uh, and I hate to categorize people and put people in a box, but it's just true. Like most of us believe what we believe for two reasons. We either believe it because we were taught it, right? From our parents or grandparents. I know that I've, I've always loved like oxtails. Why? Because my dad used to make them and he loved them. So I've always loved that growing up. It was taught to me, right? And then if, if you weren't taught it, if you weren't taught to love the Yankees or you weren't, weren't taught to love the Braves, then you experienced something. So you went to a, a Cardinals game and you said, man, after going to this game, I got a sign ball from whoever. And, you know, I just love the Cardinals now. Right. So you either were taught your belief or you experienced something that made you stand where you do on whatever the belief is. And so for me, I just try to stop people from from being divisive just for a second let's lower the walls and let's think yeah. what is the story about why you believe what you believe so for me my story is that I lost my mom in a tragic way right I lost my mom and she was shot multiple times um, at our church at bible study while she was praying right it's a sad story but it is my truth it is my story and so my stance is that I personally don't like guns but I don't like them, not one bit. My wife knows I'll never have a gun in the house. My friends know I, I don't I don't like guns. And they understand why, because my mom was shot while she was praying. So people understand. And then the other story is about one of my best friends. And this is all over the world. This happens, right? So people bond by, with their family members by going hunting, or they will go to the shooting range, or like all these different things people would do to, to bond with their family. And then the story that I share is one of my good friends would always go hunting with his grandfather. And that's how they bonded. And his grandfather has passed away now. And, you know, he still goes hunting, but he feels like his granddad's still there with him. And so when he goes hunting, he always thinks about uh, his granddad. When he holds a gun, he thinks about how his grandfather would tell him how to hold a gun and how to make sure you're being, you know, strong and not hurt yourself and all these different things. And, and so he thinks about a gun. He thinks about his family. I think about a gun, I think about not having my family anymore. And, you know, we agree to disagree on the topic, which is almost foreign in, in today's day and age, like you were sharing, hey, if I share this on social media, people are gonna say, oh, I might need to unfriend her, or I might need to, you know, do this or do that, because I don't believe in that. But at the end of the day, there's a reason why we believe what we believe. And it's okay to agree to disagree. Me and my friends do it on the topic of guns. Um, and so that's that's basically, the story uh, that I share in that TED talk that you're you're mentioning. So incredibly powerful. So incredibly powerful. I mean, because and especially on a morning like this morning, you know, in the wake of another school shooting, you know, the wall goes up. The wall immediately for me goes up against my friends and family that are in support of guns. And I'm like, how, you know, the anger and the frustration of how could you, how could you eat? Like, I can't, I can't wrap my brain around it. But then immediately I think of that Ted talk and I'm like, oh, 
they have a different story. They have a different connection to that. And the wall just comes right down. And, and yeah. that applies to everything, right? Politics, political stances. I mean, I always think about it with religion too. It's like, if I was born in Utah, I'd probably be Mormon. You know, it's like, we're just a product of our, our environment and our circumstances sure. and our experiences. Absolutely. And I, I even think about it like this, you know, at some of the schools I go to, you'll have kids that are of, of the Muslim faith and, you know, they wear certain things because of their tradition and, you know, they'll get made fun of. And it's like, what seven-year-old is picking their faith, right? No seven-year-old is doing that. It's whatever their parents believe or their grandparents do or or believe or, or, or don't do, right? So that's usually what it is when you're a kid. And the fact that we have other kids making fun of people and even adults now, right? Making fun of other people or downgrading other people because of their faith, their lack of, um, it's, it, it's sad. And we got to really just stop and think, hey, maybe this person is thinking, I don't want there to be stricter gun laws because then I, I may not have the connection with my 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 my, my grandpa anymore, right? Yeah. So when I have his, you know, revolver that he had when he was growing up and my great-grandfather had, if they take this away, then I, I no longer have anything that reminds me of my granddad. That's all we did together, right? And so for me, just like you, maybe, I'm thinking, man, there's got to be something we can do to... I think we can all agree that there shouldn't be school shootings. Like that is something that everybody agrees on. If not, then, you know, that's just a person's soul. We got to check. Right. But yeah, I think we can, sure. we can all agree that that is a terrible, terrible thing. We just got to figure out how can we come to a, a, an agreement on how we can do away with stuff like that from happening. And for me it, it, in a perfect world, I, 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 there'd be no guns. It'd be all peace, love, and happiness, but um, it is not a perfect world. So I'm still trying to figure it out too. Uh, and I, I will mention this because I've been working with them for the last year. It's a, an organization called Give Evolve. So Evolve Technology is a weapons detections uh, system. So you know how you walk into a place, they say, hey, put your keys in here. When you go to the airport, put your keys, put your laptops or whatever, yeah. and you walk in. Well, this company, um, I'm on the board for the nonprofit of it. We actually give away free weapon detection system to schools and to churches. And when I'm seeing this, I immediately wanted to text our CEO and say, Peter, man, what can we do to get these out even more places? Um, yeah. So, so like stuff is happening, but you know, anytime something happens, it's still like, we got to do more. Yeah, we got to do more. And I, I, I couldn't agree more. And that's, you know, that's the other question on both ends of the spectrum with gun control, you know, what, what can people do? I feel like the, our nation as a whole is sitting here yet again in, in shock, which, you know, it's insane to me. Like what I kept thinking this morning is like, I, I mean, I was just sitting there in shock, but then not surprised at the same time, which is just God awful, you know? Um, but what, what can people do? I mean, I, I feel like so often we're just sitting here hopeless and, you know, what can we do? Is there, you know, the organization you just talked about, but what is your answer to that for people? Yeah. Well, well, to be honest, uh, what I don't want to see happen is I don't want people to become numb to this. And yeah. unfortunately I've, I've started to see that happen here and there where something happens in the news and it's like, ah, man, that sucks. And then it just, you go about your day. If that like, I can't do that. I don't know if it, I actually want to ask people this, like, and I know my wife is like this, but I'm thinking maybe it's just because she's always around me. 
But I'm always thinking like, man, this could have been my son because it happened to my mom. So I'm thinking this could have been my son's, you know, school that he goes to that gets, you know, shot up. And I could have been at a grocery store. So I'm always on alert. Like, it's not as bad as it used to be where I had some pretty bad PTSD from losing my mom. But I'm always thinking like, man, this could have been me. And I feel like I'm fearful that people are thinking, oh, this is terrible that, ha that happened, but it couldn't happen where I live. It couldn't happen in my community. But that's not the case. I, people should be scared. They should be alarmed and be like, man, I don't want this to happen to my son or my grandson. So we got to figure out how my granddaughter stays safe or what we can do to make sure that my niece or nephew doesn't go through what I just saw happen in Texas or in Buffalo or Sandy Hook or in Charleston or, you know, all these different places that I've been affected by um, gun violence. Um, another thing I think we should be doing is we constantly should be checking on our, our kids, right? So I wholeheartedly believe if we're not teaching them, right, there, there's, whole, there's missing spaces and they're going to fill those spaces, whether it's by their friends' beliefs or whether it's by uh, the internet, or social media, if we're not constantly trying to fill them up, they're getting filled by other things. So, um, you know, it's, it shouldn't be a it shouldn't be a tough conversation to talk to your kid about not being racist or, you know, if they have feelings of anger, like expressing that to you. Shouldn't be it shouldn't be a tough conversation. It might be a little awkward though, right? It might be awkward yeah. when you're talking about the birds and the bees, talking about sex and teaching them about all these. Like it's gonna be awkward. But it shouldn't be a, a hard conversation like, I don't know if I should talk about this. No, you should, because if you don't, then somebody else is going to tell them and it's going to uh, influence them and say, man, why didn't my parent tell me this? Why didn't my uncle share with me, you know, that this is happening in the world? Um, so that's a challenge that I have to people. Make sure that you can wholeheartedly say, I'm teaching my kid not to be racist. I'm teaching my kid to express their feelings when they're angry in a way that uh, they won't hurt, hurt other people. Like, I think that is very, very important. And we have to be doing more of that. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I mean, I just, I had that conversation this morning with my daughter and it's, you know, it's interesting because it's like, of course she heard it from friends and about yesterday's, you know, school shooting. And it's like, I think there's a lot of parents out there hoping that their children almost don't hear about it, you know, and just want to protect them. But it's like, our kids are hearing everything so much more than we think they are. And we have to open up that conversation and we've got to talk to them about it. And, you know, just, the, I, I know another piece of it, you know, we're talking about gun control, but we're also talking about mental health, you know? And so checking in with our kids on that, I think, especially on the heels of COVID and everything that's happened, it's like children's mental health is just, it's so unstable right now. And I think I know as a parent, it's so easy to, to turn a blind eye to it, you know, and, and believe that that's not your kid or that, you know, they're not struggling because we don't want them to struggle. But to just constantly have those conversations is so important. And even today, it's like, I feel like I want to challenge people to just open up the conversation about what's happening in the world, and what happened yesterday and to not you know, go about your life and go to the soccer game or the baseball game and, and talk about other stuff. It's like, we got to be talking about what, what really matters. 
If you're looking for some more in-depth training on mindset practices and how to create your vision, how to reverse engineer your goals, how to craft your morning process, all of the things that I'm super passionate about, you guys, the Rise Up course is where it's at. It is literally my lifetime, my mind in a course, every single tip, strategy, and hack that you could possibly ask me about is in this course. So jump into the show notes right below and you'll see the link for the Rise Up course and my Rise Up planner and you guys can rise up with us. Talk to me about um, when you're going into these schools, are you, your elementary, middle school, high school, right? All yeah, of them. Everything. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank you so much, by the way, for doing that. Um, middle school is hard what? too, by the way. Middle, middle school. Oh, middle school is, yeah. Middle school Minor 12 and 13. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So 12 and 13, they're so much more, I believe, influenced by their peers than they even are their parents, you know? Um, and so that's the other reason why we keep having the, we have to keep having these conversations with them. But I don't want to say on a lesser level, but a slightly different level when, you know, bullying and just, you know, kind of making fun of kids for differences. What is your message there? Because I know that um, my son was just diagnosed last August with type one diabetes. And I know it was, um, you know, the feeling that he felt was, you know, I'm, there's something wrong with me. I'm, I'm the only one. And I think so many kids, especially in middle school, it's like they're, I always say, don't compare your insides to other people's outsides. Mm. Like they're looking at everybody's outside, thinking it's all perfect. And we as adults know everybody's got their stuff, right? And I think um, also hurt people hurt people, right? Like yeah. that's an expression that I absolutely believe is true. But what's your message to not only kids, but parents of kids, maybe not the bigger issues of, you know, gun violence and, and racism, but how can we talk to our kids just about kind of the in and out of what they're dealing with every day? Yeah, well, well first, I, I, I never just limit it to kids because uh, one of the things that I've realized is we all struggle with feelings, you know, self-worth, like, am I worthy of doing this? Am I worthy of having, you know, a podcast? Am I worthy of doing, you know, whatever it may be, right? So we all struggle with that. And my, my answer to a lot of the students is, you know, you're one of one. My faith lets, you know, tells me in the good book that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, and in one of my children's books, it says, you are beautifully and wonderfully made. Um, and so when you think that you are one of one, nobody else in the history of mankind is, has the same DNA as you. There's only one Christopher Nigel Singleton that looks like you, that is you. Everything, like everything about you, you're one of one. How many things had to go right for you to be here today? And when you think of all these different things, you're like, man, it, I'm here for a reason. Um, and, and so I, I kind of start off with that. And then I kind of remind people, even adults, that there are so many different things we don't choose. You know, I'm at schools where kids are getting made fun of because they wear the same jeans three times a week, right? And I'm at schools that kids are getting made fun of because their dad's an addict and people know about it. And, you know, that or their mom had, was caught stealing or like all these different things like I, I've seen happen. And I remind people that, hey, we don't choose so many things in our life. So how dare we make fun of somebody based on the things they don't choose either? And, and, and I even break it down to how we don't choose our names, right? Most of us, unless, you know, we change our name, it's given to us by our mom, our dad, our grandma, grandpa, somebody gave you your name and 
kids are are constantly getting made fun of based on something they didn't control. And so I kind of stripped down all the things. I'll ask you, hey, did anybody can you know choose where they were born? Did anybody choose their first language? Anybody choose how much money their parents do or don't have? Like I just start going on and on and on. And I say, if we didn't choose those things, how dare we we laugh and joke and make fun of somebody based on the things they don't control either. And I'm really, I'm really good at like uh you know, I say things in a non-pugnacious way. So I, I, it's not a divisive way that I do it, but I really hit people, you know, in the gut sometimes. Even kids, middle schoolers, man, they are at a time where if it's cool and it makes my friends laugh and it makes me popular, that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. That is the biggest yep. thing that I see in middle schools. Like, it's like, okay, I know my mom's telling me this, but, you know, my buddy laughed when I said this last time. So I'm going to say this in front of more people. Yep. Hopefully everybody laugh. I become cool. So it just becomes like a, I got my first girlfriend, a boyfriend. I want to be cool. Like that is the middle school age. And that's why middle school is really actually the hardest audience for people to speak to because high schoolers, you know, they're for the most part, they're, they're respectful or if they're not listening, you know what, they'll, they'll tune you out, put their headphones on. Middle schoolers will make jokes. They'll say, Hey, you know, they'll, they'll just, you know, it's tough. It's tough middle school, but I've always been really, really good at kind of, being able to you can hear a pin drop when I speak to a middle school and that is very mm-hmm. very rare because I kind of start off with hey just to let you guys know there's going to be somebody that doesn't that that has enough courage to stop their friend from talking during my presentation right not everybody in here has enough courage to do so but there are a couple group of people couple some people in here that I think are so courageous they're going to stop their friend and they're going to say hey uh, man Chris is talking about something super important let's let's give him 20 minutes right so I'm pretty strategic on how I do it. And then I That's make the, I, I try to make the coolest, the the kids that are doing the right thing in the school, the coolest kids. And then by the time I leave, hopefully they're like, man, you know what? I used to think it was funny to make fun of this kid because, you know, he's in a wheelchair. You know, this person has a hearing aid. But after I heard Chris speak, like, I'm not cool if I do that, you know? So I want to be cool. So I can't do that anymore. So it's tough, but I, I just try to celebrate people and uh, try to flip the script on what cool is. Yeah, I love that. And you're coming to speak at my children's school. We're going to make it happen at some point. <laughs> no That's amazing. Um, I don't want to take too much of your time, but I, so I want to just wrap up with some questions that you can answer quickly or, you know, at length. But what, let's just start with number one, who do you admire? This is a good question. I have realized that there is no person that you can just say, hey, I go to this person for everything. Now I'll break that down. So I used to always think as an athlete, man, I love Barry Bonds. I love Andrew McCutcheon. I love King Griffey Jr., right? Those are the guys that I looked up to. They looked like me. They're baseball players. They were great. And I realized you can't idolize one person for everything. You could just say, I love the boy this person plays baseball. I don't know how this person is as a father. I don't know how this person is as a husband. So I started to say, hey, if if it, when it comes to my faith, you know, Brandon Bowers is my guy. I, like, I, I want faith like that. He is in love with the Lord. He knows the Bible like the back of his hand. Like, I, I like that, right? When it comes to business, I love this person, right? My buddy Inky Johnson is a phenomenal speaker. And he is just crushing it in the speaking world. He's one of my mentors in that world. When it comes to being a father, right, there's different people that I'm always trying to say, hey, okay, 
How do I pick and choose? Because not everybody has it all together. And we both know that. And one of my biggest things is I don't want to be a public success and private failure. My my buddy Inky told me this to where it's like, hey, you know, you make five million dollars a year, but your wife and your kids don't love you. I don't I don't want that. That's not that's not successful to me. So I'm trying to make sure I win in every aspect of my life. And it's tough. Let me share this with you. And hopefully your listeners get this, too. I was speaking at this 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 event for entrepreneurs. And this was an Inc. 5000 event with like the uh, I think some super successful businesses that are up and coming in South Carolina. Um, then I did one um, in another state as well. But when I was speaking at this event, I asked him, I said, hey, I've got five things I want to be able to accomplish as a man. This, these are my things that I'm trying to do. It's just an entrepreneur, like go-getter type of person. I said, number one, can a person bring home net a million dollars for themselves? That's number one, right? Number two, can they still be a person of faith, right? Number two. Mm-hmm. Number three, can they still be a giver, right? Not be stingy. Can they be a giver? Um, number four, can their wife love them? Kids love them. And number five, can they still be physically fit? Right. Those are my five that I'm trying to attain. And if I can, you know, that's my five that I'm, that I'm. That's so good, Chris. That's so good. I'm like, want to grab a pencil or a pen right now and write it down. (laughs) Those would be my five too. That's, that's like, that's it, right? We got to live holy and we can't just pursue the business or the income or the success and the accolades, but yeah we got to balance it all out. I love that. And, and I believe so wholeheartedly, and I hope my audience hears this from both of us, how important it is to kind of, you have to do some work to like search out those people you admire and you got to kind of dig into people's lives. And I know for me, it's been absolutely essential to have those people kind of as your North star of, you know, this is how I want to do, this is how I want to show up in my business. I want to emulate them. This is how I want to show up in my marriage. I want to emulate this person. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think so often we don't have those role models in our life, you know, especially as adults, especially as adults. And it's yeah. a little different too, because I mean, you have to customize it as well, right? For me, I'm on the road 150 days a year. So me and my wife, we sit down every December and we say, how many days can I be gone? Right, how many days- yeah. Is it okay for me to be gone? I've got, you know, red dates on my calendar for when she's out of town. I can't go anywhere. I got the boys, right? No speaking. Doesn't matter how much they're paying me, right? So we've got red days that I can't move. We go on, uh, we try to do 24 dates a year, four trips a year as a couple, and then some things as a family. So there are things, I'm super goal oriented as well. Like, you know, even with the nonprofit boards I'm serving on, I'm like, hey, how many people do I need to get for volunteers, right? You need to get 50 volunteers, I'll, I'll crush it. So um, I'm a big goal setter and um, I don't want to just win in one aspect of my life because that's not winning to me. I want to win in every aspect. I love that. And I love how goal oriented you are. I'm like goal goal obsessed. And same thing. It's like, you've got to have metrics, you know? You can't just go about your life thinking like, I want a good marriage. It's like, well, and I do the same thing. It's like, well, then we're going to strategically put these date nights and hire the babysitter. And like, there's got to be quantifiable, you know, data there for you to like, be able to say, this is going to lead me to a good marriage. This is going to lead me to more success in my business. I think that's so important. For sure. Um, What this, I can't wait to hear the answer to this. What do you attribute your success to? Um, what do I attribute my success to? Uh, I would say just being a good person has been really, really good. I'm also a grinder. 
I used yeah. to. Um, I was going to say, I bet you're a ridiculously hard worker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. But I mean, even if you work hard and people think you're sleazy, or you're not a good person, like who, nobody's going to want to support you, you know? Um, so I, I, I've always worked pretty hard. I, I've, I've never liked to make excuses. Um, I'm a learner. I lost my, you know, me and my, me and my family, we, we, our house got foreclosed on my mom was killed and, uh, one of our cars got repossessed and, you know, financially we were in a really, really rough spot. And so I basically told myself, my family, Hey, I'm ne we're never going to feel like this ever again. And, uh, I started reading real estate books and stuff. And so me and my wife were, you know, we're 26 and she's 25 and we just bought our 15th property and we're trying to just wow. keep building and building while also making sure we attain all five of those things. So for me, I've always had goals that I set been super hardworking. I'm, I'm a learner, but being a good person, you know, when I, when I release something, a book or whatever it is, I feel okay asking people to go support it. Why? Because I probably already supported something they've done. And so it's not a weird conversation for me to ask you to do something if I've already done something for you. So I think being a good person is definitely up there for my success as well. Yeah. Gosh, you just said so much. I mean, you just nailed it. It's like the, you know, the perfect combination of all of those things is absolutely what where success comes from. Um, what's something that few people know about you? Few people know about me. Hmm. What do I say? I'm, I'm, I'm always super open. I'm really yeah. open. Um, and I'm honestly too open sometimes. So I don't know. My wife's like, I don't know to say all that. <laughs> but um, I, I think that one thing people don't know about me is uh, I love R&B music. Like I love R&B music. I can't sing too well, but music therapy is real. And so like, I like sad songs. It's a little weird, but I like sad songs. Um, that's some that. people don't know about me. I, I love music. It's something I would say. Yeah, love that. Um, what about a favorite book or a book that's impacted you a lot? Yeah, so the book of Proverbs and, and the best-selling book of all time is a is a really good um, book, I would say, people should read. Uh, other than that, <laughs> um, other than that, I, I read a book called um, You Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins, and wow. It is a phenomenal book. And he's a little more vulgar than I am, right? I'm not super, you know, <laughs> F-bomb heavy, but he, this book was, was super inspiring about how you can, uh, you can, you can go so much harder than you think you can in your mind, right? So it's you versus you basically, right? When you yeah. say you don't, you know, the, the, the snooze button, you want to hit it. No, it's you versus you. Who's going to win? Right. When you don't feel yep. like working out or eating, eating healthy, you got the cheeseburger, you got the salad It's you versus you who's going to win. So that kind of stuff. Yeah. I like that kind of stuff. Self-development type of thing. So that's a good book. And then Extreme Ownership. Um, I read this when I truly would have called myself an entrepreneur uh, in 2019 um, was like the year I really started to take off as far as speaking wise. And Extreme Ownership was a book that I would recommend any person in business read. Mm, yeah, it's a good one. It's one of my favorites too. Oh, so much good stuff, Chris. Well, thank you so much for just taking the time out of your day and of your life. I know you're crazy busy. Uh, this message is just, I mean, it needs to be shared again and again and again. So I just want to thank you for your time, your message, and really, truly thank you for doing all the work that you're doing in the world because you're changing it. 
you absolutely are. Thank you. Thank you. I'll, I'll end with this. The last thing I always try to share with people is growing up, I would always hear it takes a village to raise a child, right? It takes a village. And now that I'm a young adult, I got my own family. When people see me, when they hear me, I hope they look at me and they say, man, Chris, Chris has got a great village. So that's my hope. I hope people say Chris got a great village, came from a great village and uh, people see my mom when they see me. Absolutely, they do. No doubt. No words. Really, no words. I am utterly inspired by Chris's story and his message of, of hope and of unity and of love. It's my hope that you guys open up these conversations and that you speak into the issues that are going on in our world today. And I just want to say thank you to Chris for making the time and um, being such an incredible just servant leader and messenger in our world today. Thanks for tuning in.